This is Thought and Leaders. Hello, 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 and welcome again to another global podcast from Thought and Leaders. As you know, I scour this beautiful, magnificent, wonderful world to find the greatest thought leaders out there from all walks of life. This week is absolutely no exception to that rule. I have with me the botanist, Joshua Stiles. Hello, Joshua. Hello, Jonathan. You okay? Brilliant. Now, you've been making a bit of a name for yourself here in the United Kingdom as the plant guy, the guy who is saving some really obscure plants, actually, aren't you? Other people think they're obscure, but I'm certainly very familiar with them. You started getting into botany, into into plants, at what age, and how did it all come about? Um, I was about six or seven um, from memory, right. and I started growing like fruit and veg in my garden, and watched gardeners grow quite a lot, uh-huh. which is how I initially got interested in plants. I remember growing up watching Monty Don as well. Ah, Monty, yeah, 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 and and he was really, really endorsing wildflower seeds. And so I remember when I was still really, really young, begging for my mum to buy me some some wildflower seeds, and she did. And we got this wildflower patch, and I just remember sitting there and, and watching all of these wildflowers and the the sheer number of interactions between them with solitary bees and beetles and butterflies and all sorts of other things. And then I looked at the rest of my garden, Mm. which was still for fruit and veg, and it was just desolate by comparison. I removed all of my fruit and veg and replaced it with wildflowers. Mm. And through loads of volunteering, that led on to a degree. And here I am. How many kinds of sweet flowers grow in an English country garden? It's been noticeable for at least five years, I would say, in the United Kingdom that bees have been dwindling. (laughs) Yeah, we're in a biodiversity crisis at the moment. And it's no surprise that insect and other species numbers are dwindling when plants, the fundamental basis of all life on Earth, are in decline. So in Britain, one in three of our native plant species have shown significant declines over the past 50 to 100 years, whilst one in five are threatened with extinction, pretty imminent extinction as well. Are you being the the grim reaper here, or I mean, how how bad is this? Very, very bad. So, so when people say species are threatened with extinction, they generally mean that the species is red listed, either critically endangered, endangered or one degree below endangered, vulnerable. So these are species that have undergone significant declines over such a short period of time. For example, one of the species I work with, lesser bladderwort, it's red list vulnerable. And since um, the turn of the Second World War, um, lesser bladderwort has been lost from most of its sites in England. Mm. Um, There are actually very few sites where you can see this species now. Over such a short period... 
These are species that have declined significantly. When you say a short period, Josh, one of the things in terms of global warming is how very steep the curve has got in a relatively short time. detractors out there that global warming is something that is natural done over many many centuries and so on and so forth but it seems that something happened in the last 80 odd years maybe even less yeah that seems to have changed everything Climate actually only plays a very minor role in uh, current and historical, or rather recent, declines in, in our wildlife. Most declines are attributed to the intensive, in Britain at least, to the intensification of agriculture. A huge proportion of our semi natural habitats have been lost. For example, Since the turn of the Second World War, we've lost over 97% of our wildflower meadows to agriculture. We've lost in the northwest of England, which is where I am, um, I've lost lost over 98% of our peat bogs. And these uh, peat bogs are are really, really important habitats. They cover about 3% of the Earth's surface. But actually, peat bogs internationally hold more carbon than all of the planet's forests combined. Just explain what the implications are of these peat bogs holding this carbon. What what are the implications? What does it mean? Peat bogs are a enormous resource when it comes to climate change because they are significant carbon sinks. When you consider a woodland and trees, trees are great carbon sinks in the short term until they die and release all that carbon back into the atmosphere. But with a peat bog, these really, really wet, marshy habitats, what essentially happens is all that carbon is taken out of the atmosphere and stored permanently in the form of peat. And so peat bogs, from a climate perspective, are an enormously valuable resource we have lost and we continue to lose um, here in Britain and throughout the world as well. Are you saying that these plants are more important or just as important as cereals? The way that we farm is completely unsustainable. And when we look at biodiversity loss, we're not just losing wildlife. We are losing something incredibly valuable to our agricultural systems. We're losing a lot of pollinating insects. When we lose semi-natural habitats near agricultural land, studies have shown that predators of crop pests decline. And so farmers have to spend more on pesticides. Um, But in terms of biodiversity loss and the implications to us as well, in particular, the loss of our plants, that is something to be so, so worried about. 40% of our pharmaceuticals, our drugs, 
are, are derived from plants. About 70% of our top prescription drugs come from plants. But surely then, the big farmers, uh, pharmaceuticals that is, they can just plant more plants which are great for health. Yes and no. Most of our plant species worldwide have not been screened for potential chemicals that could be used in drugs, essentially. So most of our plants, we don't know whether they're producing alkaloids, different chemicals that could be of value to us. And so what we're losing when we're losing species most of the time is pharmaceutical potential. Now, when you're saying about losing species, you also talk about the thing about how dependent the wildlife is on these disappearing plants. Are they also endangered in terms of extinction? With the rarer plant species, you'll often get very rare invertebrates that are solely dependent on them. If we consider even common species like the humble dandelion, the dandelion is the food plant for over a hundred different insect species, and that's just one plant. Got common grasses like coxfoot grass, which is everywhere. There's 140 insects that are dependent upon coxfoot as a food plant. So when we're losing all of these, this abundance of species, what we're losing is a huge amount of diversity and we're replacing it with a monoculture, which is pretty much (laughs) just a desolate space, an ecological desert. Yeah. And the thing about this is that when it comes to conservation, when it comes to protecting the wildlife and and the wild plants, the fauna and the fauna, it is true, isn't it, that it's all about small. It's all about these tiny insects having a huge implication in terms of if they go, then the whole thing starts collapsing. People get so happy when beavers are returning and potentially lynx and wolves and all of these fantastic vivacious vertebrate species. But what we should be really concerned about aren't so much the beavers and these things that are higher up in the food chain, but the things that are the very basis of those food chains. So yes, yeah, as you rightly say, the, the invertebrates and the plants, the declines in those species are the things that we should be most concerned about. recently i've never been there before josh it is beautiful i mean it's like something out of a fairy tale i'm a londoner so i don't get to see anything like this and the question is is will our children ever see anything like this we've lost over 97 percent of our wildflower meadows since the second world war if we're continuing this trend of decline then ultimately there won't be anything left You've been working with people like Chester Zoo and others, haven't you, in in replanting? I'm involved in a a plant reintroduction project. 
in my teenage years when I had a real interest in wild plants and wildlife generally. Uh-huh. I, I grew up reading something in Cheshire, which is where I grew up, called the Cheshire Rare Plant Register. And what that did was it, it documented annually the rarest plant species in the county. And every year without fail, there would always be one or two species that went extinct. Mm. And so um, growing up, I had this rage and frustration that these plants are still disappearing. And so what I did after university was I decided to use my time in establishing a regional conservation program. Uh, so yes, and Chester Zoo um, recognised what I was doing and they they give me some funding now, which is great. Is there a central repository somewhere in the UK where they keep a handful of seeds of every single plant? The, the Q Millennium Seed Bank uh, does something along those lines, yes. Um, but in terms of active reintroduction involving plants, that is not a common practice at all in the UK. If they've got this place where they've got all these precious seeds, why don't they start propagating them? Well, well, Q Gardens actually do an enormous a lot of stuff in terms of plant conservation internationally. Um, they've got, I believe, over half the world's plant species in their seed bank. Um, but ultimately, that's a hell of a lot of stuff. So there are some species you're saying that have gone past the red line, and even you can't. Well, obviously, if they're not there, if you haven't even got the seed, there's nothing you can do. Um, there's been a recent example in the UK of a beautiful plant called a fringe gentian. And the Q Millennium Seed Bank wanted to get some seeds because it was the very last population for Britain. And unfortunately, um, it disappeared before they could get it. So, yeah, the fringe gentian has crossed the red line. Really, really. One of your favourite plants, I know, because you were talking about it throughout the national media, is a plant that can trap a fly in nanoseconds. Is that right? Oh, not a fly. There's a plant called lesser bladderwort, and it's an aquatic plant that grows in very, very nutrient-poor environments. And so the, the bladderworts in the genus Utricularia have all evolved to fill this niche where they are able to live in very, very nutrient-poor habitats. And the way they get around living in these really, really harsh environments is they trap and digest aquatic invertebrates. And so what they have are these little bladder-like structures that um, have little trap doors, essentially, and little trigger hairs. And when an invertebrate, like a mosquito larva, for example, um, goes past these trigger hairs, this little bladder-like trap sucks in the mosquito larva and digests it. And that's how they get their nutriment. No way. Yeah. And um, the bladderworts are amongst the fastest plants on Earth as well. So they can do this. They can open their trapdoor and suck in their prey 
in one ten thousandth of a second. And I just find them incredible. Are you saying that this serial killing plant <laughs> is native to the UK? So we actually have 13 different carnivorous plant species in the UK, or should I say 12, actually. One, one's extinct. I'm, I'm sorry to hear that. Yeah. Right, right. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the, this plant, it, it will get you for very, very, very small species. How much can it swallow? Tens of thousands of animals every year. And so actually where you get an abundance of bladderwort, you'll find that they can actually completely change the 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 faunal assemblages that occur in these in these water bodies where they grow. They're really incredible organisms. Love them. <laughs> we are very swiftly now heading to lockdown two. In lockdown one, one of mm. the things that everyone was talking about was how the atmosphere seemed to fill clearer and cleaner what's your view about pollution and plants there are a lot of issues with pollution around climate change but also around something called nitrification which is an issue that is not talked about a lot at all and what that is is essentially it's it's nitrogen pollution from cars and from fertilizers that farmers spray on their fields going into the air and then raining down on very special habitats Essentially, nitrification, it, it improves the fertility of various places in the UK. And that's really bad because a lot of plants are very, very sensitive to high, high soil fertility. Because essentially what happens is when the soils become more fertile, then coarse grasses and really rank vegetation outcompetes the more diminutive and usually threatened plant species, wild plants. London Pride London Pride has been handed down to us London Pride is a flower that's free London Pride means our own dear town There used to be a little plant which I have never actually seen in person I saw a film about it, Josh because as I said, I'm in London and it was called London Pride Have you ever heard of London Pride? I have, yeah. I see it quite a lot. <laughs> so what's that about then, that you're seeing our London Pride and we're not? <laughs> uh, after the bombings in World War II, there were a lot of plants that colonised all of the rubble. I believe London Pride was one of them. But there were other things as well, like Rose Bay, Willow Herb and all kinds of other stuff. And now London's just full of these weeds that colonise urban habitats. Mm. Has that got to do with nitrification? Weed is a subjective term. It's just a plant in the wrong place by definition. So weeds, so weeds are good then? Yes. <laughs> I understand that you have over 200 plants that you are tending to in your garden. I've been growing plants for a very, very long time, so... Yeah, no, it's been a very interesting process. And of course, each individual species often requires very different growing conditions to the next. Would you suggest that anyone can get into this? And would you want people to start getting into this? Or is it something just for the experts? I've given you sunshine. I've given you dirt. You've given me nothing but heartache and hurt. 
I'm begging you sweetly I'm down on my knees Oh please grow for me I've given you plant food And water to sip I've given you potash You've given me zip Oh God how I missed you Pod, how you tease Now please Grow for me I've given you Southern exposure Honestly, it's a very complex process to become involved in plant reintroductions especially, which is what I'm mainly involved in. Um, so, so although it, it looks quite simple on the news or wherever, it's, it's a really complex process. So what I have to do is I have to find suitable candidate receptor sites for rare species. I have to do whole suites of surveys and demonstrate that the site would be suitable, oftentimes to government organisations like Natural England to get consent for reintroduction. So it's it's a complex process, but if people want to help plants, there's plenty that people can do, like growing uh, native species in their garden. So plants that moved here naturally from Europe after the last glacial maximum. And it's important to grow native plants as opposed to non-native species from elsewhere in the world because, of course, our native plants evolved with native invertebrates. And so they're generally a lot better for our wildlife. Um, so there's, there's growing native species, but you can also become a member of places like, uh, of, of organisations like the Wildlife Trust, which do an awful lot. Uh, you could volunteer for them. There's so much you can do. <laughs> now, please. Oh, 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 please. Grow for me. Fantastic. Let me ask you, you know, a lot of people, when it comes to the Chelsea Flower Show, mm. they grow these amazing new types of roses. Yeah, I'm just taking just one species. Now, from your point of view, from a, a, a botanical point of view, right? do you think this is a good thing to change the species in this sort of way? Or should they be concentrating on other things rather than coming up with these you know, different colours, different styles of roses. They are not very good for wildlife. So you'll often with roses get double flowering varieties that just are no good for pollinating invertebrates. You get so many species that are non-native at the Chelsea Flower Show and at garden centres that just can't be used by hardly anything. Um, and then by comparison, if we look at our wild roses, just sticking to roses, you'll find that they're very, very different to the ones in cultivation. And they're not double flowering and they're valuable for pollinating insects and all kinds of other things. So that's my view on, on cultivated stuff. I prefer to grow native plant species because as well as the aesthetic appeal that they provide they are so good for wildlife so my garden this summer has just been swarming with um some of the cutest invertebrates you'll see in your life it's grace <laughs> yeah <laughs> what do your neighbors think about all these insects my landlord's being very forgiving <laughs> <laughs> i did see you on tv scooping out something from a bog and i was thinking Okay. Um, I mean, I mean, would, would gardeners really want to grow this stuff? 
Well, in terms of the lesser bladderwort, I'll be completely honest. Outside of the water, because, of course, they're not adapted to terrestrial environments. They don't need to be rigid and form rigid leaves and whatnot. When you take lesser bladderwort out of a water body, it looks like sludge. Um, But you'll have to take my word for it. It does look very nice underwater. There was one that they showed on BBC News whilst they were interviewing you, which was a very delicate little flower. And it was almost transparent, some of the little nodules on it. Right. Um, can these things be quite beautiful? I, I think there are so many big and beautiful wildflowers. Things like grass of Parnassus that has these gorgeous white flowers. Things like... Um, great napweed with these massive pinky purple flowers in the summer that are great for butterflies and bees or field scabious or small scabious or teasel so much um of our wild plants of our flora is is so interesting aesthetically and of course it's better for wildlife so yes is the answer (laughs) yeah it eventually will come out of lockdown and things like the Chelsea Flower Show and other botanical events uh, come back. Can we all look forward to seeing you with a garden which is full of of these amazing, otherwise extinct wild flowers and plants? Maybe if someone pays me, <laughs> then yeah. <laughs> well, let's let's get that out there. Let's get that out there. Let's. Let's get you sponsored because I like I know seriously I, I I like the idea Josh of having a garden at a place like Chelsea right. which you would look after mm. where you could show the world what they could be missing or indeed losing right it's a very interesting concept sure why not okay well let's get it out there if anyone's listening one of the things that COVID has shown the world, apart from the kindness thing, is that people are looking for authenticity again. Yeah. And I guess that would also include the botanical stuff, wouldn't it? Let's hope so. Yes. I think an important thing about people wanting to be more wildlife friendly is education. So, so if you actually Google the term wildflower, what will often come up is like a cornfield mix of corn poppies and cornflowers and corn marigolds. But actually, none of these are wildflowers in Britain. They're not native species. And so hopefully, with with a bit of education about our amazing flora that is in decline, people will become more interested in it generally. Fantastic. As I said, you are affiliated with Chester Zoo, and it's another organisation, isn't it, that you're affiliated with? Chester Zoo and the Wildlife Trust, Lancashire Wildlife Trust. Now, how can people get in touch with any of these uh, places? Um, Just a simple Google of of Chester Zoo or or Lancashire Wildlife Trust will have some inquiries emails, but also on my Northwest Rare Plants Initiative website, nwrpi.weebly.com And if people wanted to get you via Twitter, how can they do that? Well, my Twitter handle is Joshua, the letter L951. And that's my Twitter handle. So that's Joshua L951. Brilliant, 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 brilliant. Well, Josh, I think that what you're doing is magnificent. I know 
that you are going to be the future number one botanist, I think, in the UK. I know that you're already getting quite a bit of uh, publicity on various TV channels, and I think that it's only going to get better, And which is good news, not just for you, Josh, but it's also good news for those plants. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah. Okay, well, thanks, Josh. Thank you very much, Jonathan. It's been a, it's been a pleasure. Oh, it's always a pleasure to speak to you. So, everyone, go and visit Josh's website there. Have a look at what's going on. And if you possibly can, try and get involved. It's good for you. It's good for the kids. It's good for the future. And it's good for our plants. Oh, thanks, Jonathan. So here's to a better world. And until next time, take care. Stay safe. got an opinion on this show perhaps you would like to share your own story with the world you can dm us or contact reinvent at me.com if you're looking for award-winning world-class content strategy that builds your brand once again simply email reinvent at me.com that's reinvent at me.com because i never want to see you sad girl Don't be a bad